Hi, welcome to another episode of Sisters Gone Platinum with your hosts, Rena and Vicky, where if you're looking to be inspired, entertained, and encouraged, you've reached the right place. Pull up a seat. We got you, sis. Today's episode is brought to you by Exclusive Services by My Girls, your premier destination for top-notch house cleaning, handyman, and organizational services. Exclusive Services by My Girls isn't just a cleaning service, it's a commitment to excellence. Their team of experts go above and beyond to ensure your space is not just clean, but a sanctuary you look forward to coming home to. Whether you're a busy professional or someone who values their time, Exclusive Services by My Girls understands your needs and delivers exceptional cleaning, tailored just for you. A huge thank you to Exclusive Services by My Girls for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Sisters Gone Platinum. I'm your host, Pamela Jones, and I'm here with my sister, Vicki. <laughs> Um, we are doing our special edition part two. Hopefully you guys got to listen in last week and tune in to all the juiciness <laughs> and not so juiciness. But um, for those of you who are new, uh, we are two sisters who decided to come together and share our stories of um, living in the aftermath of a very nefarious cult. If you're interested in hearing more about that cult, you can watch a new docu-series that was, uh, that dropped on, on Hulu, Hulu on January 4th. It's very interesting. I believe it's one season, five episodes. If you're interested in cults mm-hmm. and the ins and outs of this particular cult, you'll find all the information there. It's called The Daughters of the Cult. There you go. And since that dropped, our followers, family members, and clients and friends have asked us how much of this uh, cult were we involved in, if any. And uh, we both pondered the idea (laughs) for a little while and decided it was time for us to share our story. So to give you a little recap, uh, we were both born into a cult in Mexico It was five brothers that, and their father had moved down and started a church back in 19, I believe it was 1930-something. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to know the years when it started because it was so long ago. Anyways, I'm not going to pretend to know when it was. Anyways, and um, these five brothers and their wives and families uh, colonized a place in Chihuahua, south of El Paso, Texas, and started a church. And later on, they colonized another town in uh, Baja, California, and that is where I was born. And there was a few other towns. I believe there's one in Nicaragua, and then another one in Quintana Roo down south. I think there's a, I heard of one of, um, I remember hearing the word Osumba. I think it's by Mexico City in Mexico as well. I hadn't heard about that one, but they've they've started several colonies. So these five brothers moved into Mexico and started this church called the Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times. And as anything, any kind of family would have it, there would begin some greed and jealousy. And one of the brothers, his name is Erbil LeBaron, he uh, left the church and started his own church. And there was greed, and there's a lot of... um, I want to say turmoil. Uh, turmoil, yeah, a lot of turmoil, mm-hmm. and they he started uh, implementing the blood atonement. You will see more about that in the documentary, and you can also look online and hear more about what that entails. So we got together, as I said earlier, and decided it was time for us to share our story. And as I mentioned in our first part one, we had not even talked about it amongst each other. 
It was just something we never talked about. Uh I never shared it with my children. I mean, sure, they know there's a lot of information out there. So at this point in the story, Herbal has passed away, has been killed. Or we're not sure if he was killed, he died Mm -hmm. accidentally, or if he took his own life. We don't know. But nonetheless, he has passed away. And three days later, um, his brother, Verlin, has been killed as well. So uh, when he was in prison, Herbal, he set out, uh, what do they call that list? They called it the list. I just remember hearing it called the list. So you had a list, and on that list, if your name was on it, then they would seek you out to uh, take your life. My father was on that list and several of our townspeople. And anyways, what were you going to mention about that when you were down south, some of the memories, some things you heard? Oh, I, uh, I... We don't talk about this. Yeah. We don't talk about this. I'm I'm in shock. I did not know you were there the very next day after Los Molinos and you saw what you saw. I'm I'm still stunned. I lost sleep last night thinking of how it must have felt or what your thoughts may have been witnessing something so horrific. I I I I never knew you actually experienced that. It was our always you know, stories that were told to me but I wasn't there right I didn't realize you were right actually there (laughs) right well as you get older and you look back it even scares you a little more because you understand more what's going on at the time you're just a child you 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 just follow your parents example you're scared you know in Los Molinos they had a they call it the town's bell so they have this big uh I don't know if it's a bronze medal but it's a big bell and if they rung that bell any time during the night, you were supposed to gather your family and head to the beach. So we lived like a mile away from the beach front there. So you were to head to the beach and hide in the sand dunes and wait until the coast was clear. So the, the bell was, one of the times the bell sounded out and mama gathered us on. We couldn't turn the headlights on the vehicle. So Gerald had a flashlight and he was shining in. Mom and all of us kids, we all drove down. There was lots of vehicles going down that way. Um, and hid amongst some sand dunes and wait until it was safe again. And they used the town's bells to sound it out when there was danger, or even if there, if someone's needed help, like if a home had caught on fire. I remember a couple times during the day, it would sound, and people knew that there was a way they rung it. I don't remember the, the system of how it was done, and that meant they were needed, and they would gather up and help other families with situations, whatever it was. But needless to say... You're asking like, or you were mentioning something like you didn't realize what I had actually been mm-hmm. amongst it all. But a part of us sharing our stories that we still suffer some of the trauma, some sure. of the memories from 50 years ago or however long ago it was. Like to this day, if I hear a bell, like what you would, like the centennial bell sound or that kind of sound, I get scared. To this day. Oh, I can imagine. I and can't then it, imagine the fear that would just shock into you. Well, you know you're okay, but it just, it's its, it's a still, trigger, and it's, it's like, run, and I think, oh, wait. First of all, I'm not interrupting <laughs> the, the beach is so far from here, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyways, it, and there's lots of other ones, but that one, when we, we were talking about Baja, I remembered that, like that sound of that bell to this day is something I, I cannot handle. It triggers me. But um, so fa- 
back to the story, um, Erbil's killed, the list is out, you know, murder is going on, and then it, it appears that they are starting to murder themselves amongst each other. So it feels like their focus has turned inward to their own cult and what they're going through and whatever, and I feel like a lot of us started to feel more at peace. At ease. Yeah, like more like maybe we weren't on that list anymore. Or at that point, the whole town is armed. You know, Dad had several, several guns. All, a lot of his kids, you know, because Dad has been gone for, what, 10, 12 years. A lot of his children talk about seeing his collections. He was well armed. Each home, in fact, I remember one time sneaking into my mama's drawer and sliding my hand under some of her clothes. Maybe I was looking, snooping around, whatever I was doing, and I found a pistol. I feel like it was a 9 millimeter. That stayed in my oh mind. My and I remember the cold metal and pulling it out, and it's heavy, and I'm looking at it, and I'm scared, and I put it back. So, How old were you? Um, I would have been, I'm guessing I would have been 12, 13. Oh, my goodness. So I know that all the families are armed. So anybody that would ever think of recreating another raid or doing anything like that they were going to meet up with some crossfire they were going to get they were going to get hurt in some ways so I, they never did that again it was going to be more you know um particular targeted way, people, targeted people yeah. yeah so as time went on i think that, that that we in general started to become feeling more safe okay and then that's when the rumors of what you were talking to me about earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember being in southern Mexico and Can't hearing, come. yeah, yes, and hearing um, stories that uh, <laughs> we called them the Jordanites down south. <laughs> this, uh, Dan Jordan's, uh, I don't know, group, posterity, family, yeah. posterity. I uh, Word got to down south that they had moved back to the colony and I heard of uh, lots of controversy. Some people were saying, hey, you know, love, just forgive. It was their dad that did the killing and not them. And then there was the others that, you know, their father killed my father and they are not welcome here. And there was a lot of divide, a lot of rumors, a lot of segregation between the community in itself. Uh, do, you, do you remember that? Well, yeah, that uh, more than I remember part? that um, during that time. So... Uh, Jordan had a bunch of beautiful daughters, you know, beautiful daughters are a camaraderie <laughs> in the town. Unfortunately, it's true. And of course, my uh, then husband, uh, he was interested in the, the daughters. So um, he started going amongst the peop their people. And it was hard for me in the beginning because I'd heard the story how Dan Jordan had let back um, cult members and trusted them and brought them into his home and then on a hunting trip they murdered him and here we are the same family is now coming into our lives so I was petrified and sure enough my husband falls in love with one of um, Dan Jordan's daughters she's actually an awesome lady and she happens to be his namesake and my husband falls in love with her and decides to bring her into the family. And I'm petrified. I I'm petrified. Imagine. And now, you know, you thought you got a few moments of peace where, where you didn't have to be, have so much fear. And I never had a gun. I never had anything to protect myself. And now that I think about it, neither did my husband. So I would take a kitchen knife. Like, if that's going to save my life. And if you saw my kitchen knives, 
<laughs> they were so they were so dull. Like I couldn't even cut a potato. I mean, there was no such thing as sharpening your knives. But what for whatever reason, I would take the kitchen knife with me to bed under my pillow, you know, and to feel safe. And now this family is coming into our family. I'm petrified that they're going to take us all out. I'm petrified. His dad was on the list. Why wouldn't some of his kids be? Oh, yeah. I didn't know what their intentions were. I, you know, I didn't know. And so, um, I don't know, fast forward a couple of months, we are in Utah and my husband takes me over to their home. And I'm like, to Dan Jordan's home? Well, well, he had been murdered, so he was gone. It was over to some of the... I saw one of the ladies on um, Daughters of the Cult. She was okay. there. So I went and met th- some of the women on that show and a okay. lot of the children. And and this woman that my husband marries oh my is goodness. one of them. And, there, and this... She has, like, what, 10 daughters? And... There were several of the colony men that were going to go and marry into this family, and they were beautiful what girls and awesome mothers. Head. I was petrified. And not only that, so then I show up here. It's almost like when I tell the story, it's like, it couldn't have happened. It just couldn't have happened. <laughs> so there I am. I'm amongst, you know, Erville's children. No lie. Erville's children. Actually, now that I, yes, Erville's children, the Jordans, and some of the uh, the Batemans, Vonda White's son. I don't know if you heard much about Vonda White. Well, she was married to Erbil, and she ended up killing Dean Vest okay. um, there in San Diego. Something to do with appliances. I don't remember the whole story, but I know he was a very tall, big man, and he was on the list. She ended up killing him. She served life in prison. Well, one of her children. He was actually one of the kids, 12-year-old kids, that went through the the Los Molinos and shooting that gun that I was talking about yesterday. So I got to talk to him personally. He told me what he knew, and it, it, it melts your heart because he was just a kid doing what he was told or else. And if they didn't do what they were told to do, then they would be in danger of losing their lives. And if, oh, if you follow the story, you know that he was capable of taking the lives of his own children because he did that as well, or he That's ordered true. that. So anyway, so now I'm amongst the, you call them Jordanites, I just, Jordan's children. Um, I'm there, and I'm, I'm actually at their appliance stores where they fix appliances. They take me to the stores, I'm, oh and I, where they have their, they fix all old appliances and resell them. Went there several times. I mean, when I think about it, it feels so surreal. Like, did this really happen? But yes, I'm there. And of course, my husband has fallen in love, and uh, awesome girl, she's a little bit younger than myself. And they're planning to get married. I'm scared. And one of the times, I don't remember why, what we were doing, but we were headed off to have lunch somewhere or do something, and we stopped in at someone's house. And there were a couple of her brothers, her older brother and a couple of the younger ones, and some of their half-brothers and who knows who, all in the living room. And they all had guns. But they were looking at them, not using them. Like they were moving them around. Like now I see some of my children when they're going to go to the shooting range, Mm -hmm. they pull out their guns and they look and they're cleaning. But to me, I had never really seen a gun except for, you know, on the soldiers or whatever. So guns at that point meant to you was the rage, right? That was your experience. And now I'm here. It was not a positive in any way. No, I'm pregnant with my seventh child. And I'm here seeing all these guns, and all, they're all excited, and where they got it, and 
it wasn't like malicious or evil or scary in the way that they were planning to do anything. They were just looking at their collection and cleaning right. and they liked collecting guns. But for evil. me, it's like, and now I'm here and I'm seeing your guns, <laughs> you know? And I don't even know if these children had anything to do, the ones that I'm with and that my husband ended up marrying, had anything to do with what went on down there. I just know that they were his children. Anyway, so I'm here seeing this, petrified, obviously. Um, time goes by. Um, you get to hear all the different stories. And, of course, my husband marries, and she ends up being an awesome wife, good friend to myself. They have a beautiful family. And, obviously, I lived through that. But I can't tell you for how long it took me to get over the fact that our lives weren't at danger, right? And they right. were not going to try to, you know, pull one of those fast ones and take everybody out. After after some time went by, her mother moved down, they built her house, but the town was angry. And now I'm on that side. So there's this division and, you know, all of Joel's family and all of, you know, whoever was in the colony's church and all are angry. You know, their prophet was murdered by this particular family's father, and you guys are embracing them. And and I, them back yes, in. and I remember like a couple of years after she'd gotten married that she suffered from that, and she'd share it with me. Why am I responsible? And it's like, you like, what do you say? Because, hey, girl, I'm, I was afraid of you too, you know, <laughs> for a long time. But anyway, so it, after, as time went by, it seemed like the town got over it, you know. And I think maybe five of the girls married in to some of the families and went on to live a good life. But it was definitely a hard time during that time. And um, then we moved on out of the colony and moved over back to Baja and it seemed like things calmed down a lot more and I was starting to feel more at peace when it came to you know my life and all that was going on yeah and um I think yeah I would think I was there for like maybe 10 years and then um had eight children and then I moved back to the colony and then my eyes were open to what what was going on which is it just you can't make this stuff up. No, really, like, it is just crazy. So now we're back there, and I hadn't been there for 10 years, and I'm a little wiser now, you might say. I grew up a little more. And I'm realizing that we're living amongst the cartel. Oh. And I mean, yeah. and you know yeah. the stories. They're everywhere. And, you know, definitely terrible stories and murder is starting to happen amongst not the town the colony per se but the outskirts mm. and it was scary and then um the story of my brother ozzy mm -hmm. um ending up being killed by the cartel it just started a whole nother bunch of fear like and i didn't understand the ins and outs of that world but knowing that they could take one of our family members life it just put us back in that feeling that that we were in danger. Danger again. You really in danger there. again, you know. And I feel like, for me, I don't know your story, how it played out for you, but for me, I, I never was at peace. I never was able to go to sleep without a kitchen knife under my pillow. I'm kidding you, but, but rhetorically speaking, mm -hmm. like, yep. until I left and I escaped and left and came to America. And obviously I left for other reasons, but... That was the first night I went to bed. I huddled my kids in my little uh, two-room, two-bedroom um, townhome, and I was safe. And 
that would have been in 2000. So how many years is that? Yep. You know, from 19... 24 what? years. Yeah, so that would have been 1971-ish or 72. I don't know exactly when Joel was killed. Clear into 2000. So you're looking at almost 30 years, so 28 years of just fear. And, I mean, we could go on and on. I, I tried to tell the story not gruesomely and right. as lightly as I can, but there was so many times that we just got, how do you say it? We missed death by just making one different decision, right. going some a different way home or just doing things a little bit different. But, um, yeah, when I think about it, those were such scary times, and yet we were never allowed to talk about it. You know, I don't even know why. No. I don't know. So we were afraid that if we talked about it, I don't know. What it's is? just, it was, it was painfully frightening. I didn't personally go through all this, but I heard the stories, and I could feel the fear and the... I'm shaking as I talk about it. The fear behind it. I've heard Mama tell stories, and all my older siblings and um, my in-laws for sure. There was so so much fear that it traumatized a lot of people for years or to this day. When my husband and I heard of that um, show coming Hulu. out on Hulu, we sat and we binge watched it. It brought up so so many fears that that I'd forgotten about for years and years I just you just kind of put it behind you and you kind of shield your kids from it try not to encourage them to look into you know read the books and watch the movies and the series or whatever all to to protect them from it because it brought me so much fear I just assumed it would do the same to them but uh the way that the cookie crumbled it was something I guess it's time to deal with (laughs) get out and move on from hopefully right and I know for my children they uh, listened to I believe the podcast I think it was called uh, deliver us from herbal and they were just intrigued with the story and what was so cute is they'd come to me to tell me what they're listening to did you know this (laughs) and that and I'm thinking yes I knew that you did well did you know and I said I was there like mom like they never put it together that I was actually there or lived amongst not in obviously not in his his group but in the trail of the terror and the blood trail he left I absolutely grew up in that and um even right now as we're doing this little special edition I've thought several times of what my children are going to you know think and feel because I've not had this conversation with them at all ever I think I just didn't want that fear to pass on to the next generation I felt like there was nothing I could do for me when we were growing up or much less for mom but I'd be damned if I was going to spread that on to my kids so when I left that behind me I didn't bring any of it with, none of the stories. I know that my youngest son was off doing a job and they knew he was a LeBaron and they pulled up the name and then they asked him, hey, are you related to that herbal LeBaron? And he goes, well, I don't know. (laughs) And he really didn't. And he says, yeah, I think you are. And he starts telling them all about who he is. And he's like, mom, I was listening about who I am as far as the name and I didn't know and it almost like you know I didn't know all that I says well son it's all over the internet you can research that at any point he says I really don't want to mm-hmm. and I said then you can just say no you're not because yeah he's a distant uncle to your father but he's nothing in your life but 
yeah, it, it was a hard thing to, to navigate, you know, not sharing it with my children, not letting them know how, you know, how scary it was. Yep. And I didn't want to bring that fear into this new life. No. And even when I celebrate Christmas, my children know. I just had this conversation with one of my kids. It's like, to me, Christmas for me represents freedom. Freedom. And we know it's the 4th of July in America, but for me, it's Christmas, even though I didn't leave on Christmas, but it was the first holiday I could celebrate that I truly had escaped and was freed from all of that. And back, I was in Utah when I first left, and the Mormon missionaries would come over, and I did everything I could to not say the name LeBaron. I mm, kept us yep. all under Jones, and then my ex-husband, as God would have it, showed up, and the missionaries are there, and he tells them who he is and all about the colony, and I'm just devastated, like, I can't get away <laughs> from you! <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Anyways, but yeah, it's a story for another day, but... But it was my intention to uh, keep my children safe and away from those stories. Now they're all married and older, and I feel that I can share my story. As you know, I've written my memoir, and I'm sharing my experiences, stories. And it was really hard for me to even carve out a little place to tell these things because I just felt like I didn't want it to have a part of my future anymore. And, right. and my co-editor and author, she tells me, you can't. You have to tell your story. And that was a big part of your life. Yeah. And it was hard. I said, well, then just don't say his name. And she laughs. And he's like, uh, no, we, <laughs> we have to say his name. And I really just thought, okay, it's in my book. We'll move on. And But here we start our podcast. We alluded to things, but I never planned on actually telling never. the truth of what my experience was. Never. And here we are, second part, our part two, and actually uh, telling the story. And I, I, I hope that we will heal from being able to finally speak the truth of what we went through. I know we're yes. not alone. I know a lot of our listeners from our hometown. Very many. And maybe they have a little bit different memories as to exactly dates and how it all went down. But they, they too are hopefully be able to heal from this, this time you know, whatever it was, what did we figure out, 45 years ago, 50 years ago, whenever it was, be able to finally speak the truth and move on past it. But, wow, talk about talk about a hard uh, secret to carry oh, and legacy almost. Thinking. That that constant every day, you have to filter what you say to who because there's so much backstory that if you get into it, it, it gets ugly so fast. Right. So you tend to just skim over and just tell them what's necessary. Right. Um, I had somebody uh, ask me just the other day, okay, Vicki, so what side were you on? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what <laughs> no. side? Have you guys been friends? She would have known what she, side you're on. <laughs> I didn't. I've never, just like we don't ever talk about it. I would not talk about All it right. with others it's just it's so painful right it's so it brings up so much that I just kind of put it so far back there that you don't even think to bring it up. well you don't want to be associated with the craziness truly That's true you just don't want to That's be associated or you won't you don't want to be tarnished with that name and yes. for anybody to even question that you could have had anything to do with what they were doing That's so true. and then for you to say no we're not but yes we suffered that yeah. it's hard and if you haven't like they talk about the elevator speech it's not enough time to tell someone yes but no yes or no but i'm lying yes like how do you tell them <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I knew it was time, you know, but one of the things I'm enjoying the most is that 
with these this terrible um, childhood that we had and what we experienced, and no one should have ever had to go through something like this, right? That you can come out of it yes. and be healed and be strong. And coming to America back in 2000 and starting my journey and creating a new a new lifestyle, a new tradition for my children. It was a challenge in the beginning, but it's so rewarding. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our traditions and our, I'm speaking of my families, it's it's not a long-lived thing. It's kind of short. It's 20 years ago or however long it's been, 24 years ago that we started these new traditions. And we're constantly trying to navigate what we can pass down generational as new traditions. Because when we were growing up, a lot of those things were taken from us because of fear. Mm-hmm. We, who was going to go have a big old Thanksgiving party or a big something when you were afraid you'd be attacked where a bunch of people gathered and you there would you be attacked? You know, you process. get to bed early, turn the light. I mean, there were so many many rituals and rules we had to do to keep us safe that our childhood was taken from us so the traditions weren't passed on down so when I came to America what I love about being here is is the new traditions and 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 startups I've been able to do with my kids and what's so awesome is that I have nine beautiful children and they have a significant other and that family whoever they are have brought in so many of their traditions and shared them with us and I feel so fortunate to be able to have such a big beautiful family with a variety of different traditions, ideas, and ways of doing things, and I feel like it just enriches my life. And it makes the price and the journey worth it. And I look down at my 30 grand grandchildren and think, man, I know why Grandma slapped that backpack on her back and ran for the hills that she was coming to find you. You know, when I look mm-hmm. at my children and the people they love, they were here, you know, and now my grandchildren and their pets and their homes, their lives, their businesses, their dreams. Their, it's so inspiring to me that yes. I get to share this and I'm still very young with my children and their significant others and my grandkids and I feel like I don't know if it's it's morbid to even be able to say this but I feel like living through that has helped me enjoy my life more not that I recommend it for anybody but it was done to me or done to us and we didn't have a choice but ultimately it makes a full circle and I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy, you know, the small things is taking a walk and at night and I have to carry your kitchen knife with you <laughs> or whatever, you know, but, um, I don't know. I feel a lot of gratitude and gratefulness that I was able to come to America and I was able oh, to lovely. start my family or our family. Obviously it's overwhelming at times, but I feel like keeping it to ourselves and not putting it on our children served us to heal. And you and I know that when this all went down on the 4th of this month, we started suffering again. Mm -hmm. And like we couldn't even put a name to why are we feeling these things, you know? You know, a sound of a a firecracker, we jump, you know, they're here, they're Ervilites, you know, gunfire, you know. And to go through all the healing processes that both of us have done to be able to live a normal life and then to be able to thrive it's not no little thing sis I'm proud Mm -hmm. of how you handled it truly I am your beautiful kids your (laughs) husband your husband's just 
a rock. And even though his father was murdered by this cult, there's no anger, there's no animosity, whatever that word is. Animosity. animosity. Leave it to me to get tongue-tied. There's there's none of that. He's just got a forgiving heart. You live, you know, where you live and raising your beautiful kids. It's inspiring. And And I always think if people knew, if people knew the price that was paid, and obviously we're talking about ours, but there's been prices paid for... For, for freedom. Yes. People have died, men, women have died for us to experience the freedom here in America, you know, and how we take that for granted. And there's always been um, wickedness out there or there's been injustice right. and people stood up and fought, you know, and I think that it's just a reminder, you know, how precious our freedom is and how precious it is to be able to live on this earth at a time where we can finally share our story and be okay with it. Not that we're okay with what happened, but we're okay with how we turned out. You would have never chose to go through that. You would have never chose, but being that that's where you were, you find the good in it. You choose to grow in not only in spite of it, but because of it. Absolutely. And I still haven't got there to where I can honestly say I'm grateful for that experience. It's made me who I am. A lot of my life I can, but that one, those, it's just, it's just too painful. Mm. Not when so many innocent people had to die. And I don't, I haven't got to that point. I don't know if I ever will. But I at least can say that I'm thankful for for mom, how she helped us, how she helped us to be strong and how she helped us through those times. I'm sure dad did his part and I'm not sure exactly in what way because I don't have a lot of memories of that. He was always gone. But I'm just thankful that our mother taught us to not hold uh, grudges and not and not focus on the reasons why we couldn't do the things that we wanted to do. She helped us find and a way around it. She shielded us a lot. And a lot of it was through her music and her poetry. And um, obviously, Mom was raised in America, and she had a lot of those those uh, stories that she would share with us. So I'm always so grateful that we had the mom we had to be there for us as we went through this trauma. Obviously, she yeah. was going through it. Do you know that Mom was 30 years old when we moved to Mexico? She was 30? She was 30. Oh, my goodness. And she had eight kids. I mean, when I, didn't I think... Know that one. Yeah, she was just a little kid herself, you know. A I think 30-year-old going through all this, getting her kids and gathering them up and walking for a mile in the dark with flashlights to the ocean because we in s- order to protect her kids. And she would hum a little tune. You know, Mom loved music. Oh, my goodness. We would sit in the, in the sand dunes. I don't know if you remember how it is in Baja. And we'd sit in the sand dunes. We'd have blankets. I'd have one or two kids. We'd all huddle. And she'd hum little songs. You know, those little songs that she wrote for mm-hmm. us. It always comforted yes. us. She had she had a way of with her tender heart and her talents. And she helped us get through. We didn't have TV. We didn't have radio. You know, we had mama. We had mama. <laughs> and she was overburdened with all these beautiful kids, but she was there. Don't you start. <laughs> Should we call it quits? <laughs> Anyways, and now we get to be mamas. And maybe our kids, or at least I'll speak for mine, won't know what we sheltered them from. But maybe by hearing this little story, this part one and part two, They'll know who was raising them, you know, what I was sheltering them from. 
even though you don't even know who the boogeyman is sometimes. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I look at my kids now that are raising kids and, and the struggles, you know, there's struggles out there, you know. There's, yeah. there's so many things that they are faced with every day to, um, to show up for their kids and, and teach them. Life is not always e- easy, but if you put in the, the work and, and set out the intention, you can achieve that. And I love that about the kids. I know that, I believe for your kids too, that we've raised strong, beautiful children for because sure. of our struggles. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. But I feel like grateful. I feel like um, because we we did hard things, that that's the secret sauce to me being a kick-ass person that I am. <laughs> Tune my own horn. <laughs> Anyways. I agree. Uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. feel like it's through those hard, doing those hard things, it's helped us be successful. I mean, we have been told, I remember sharing tiny bit of my story, like not their herbalized or any of that, but, you know, Mexico, it's not my story to my pastor. And I remember him asking me and kind of like even looking at me like in awe, and you don't take anything? <laughs> and you're not on anything? And he meant it. And I looked at him, I thought, well, I guess I better confess. And I said, well... I did consider taking Tylenol PM once. (laughs) (laughs) This is a true story. And he's just looking at me like, you know, you you didn't think to take some alcohol or something, you know, to help you with this. And I thought, that is so precious. That's so cute, sis. I love it. (laughs) It's a true story. Like, and and I didn't, you know, I, I took it on the chin. It's like, this is what we do. That's how mom raised you, though. Yeah. She had no doubt but that you could do whatever you were doing. And I did. Yeah. Yes. And we did. Yeah. We look back now, it's kind of far away and doesn't feel like it really happened until you hear a centennial bell ring or firecrackers mm-hmm. or a few of the triggers that cause you to jump. But I remember one time one of my daughters told me, like, Mom, why are you so full of fear? Why are you always so scared? Why do we have to check in before we leave? Check in when we get there. Check in when we use the bathroom. Check in when we leave. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I was trying to not be afraid, but I just couldn't help it. It's just like there's so many things that can happen to you, and I'm responsible. And we didn't have the tracking devices where you can track mm-hmm. the phones and track the cars and all the stuff that you have now when I was raising the kids. It would have helped a lot, to be honest. But at the time, I was just so fearful and it was my responsibility to protect the kids especially my daughters now looking back I mean they they made their own choices and did great but at the time I thought I had to do it all learned a big lesson still parenting in fear right learned a big lesson that's for sure yes right but um I feel like that's about all I really have to say as far as this um for those of you who have any questions please feel free to message us and we will try to answer them as best as we can stay tuned for Sisters Gone Platinum we will be dropping an episode every Monday and also we'll be we have a few other things in the making and we'll share the information with you as soon as we can we hope that this has been helpful and somewhat pleasant and also uh, giving you an insight as into what, where we stand or where we fit into this whole um, uh, cult and whole story of the LeBaron. Um, and how we went from lead to platinum. Yeah, and that is true. That, that hit us the other day that we went, actually we started our life out as lead, which, which is... 
as a couple, it's mm-hmm. ammunition. Ammunition, ammunition and, and we, we weathered the storm and did the journey, and, and now here we are as platinum, which means we made it. Yeah. We lived through it. <laughs> Still have all our fingers and toes. If, and we do have quite a few brain cells. At least I do. Blonde <laughs> ones, but I still have them. So um, tune in and uh, thank you so much. And we really do love our audience. And we are so grateful for the opportunity to share this story with you all. So until soon, get up, pull up your Spanx, put on your bra or not, and take back your power. We did, and you can too. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. We are not licensed healthcare professionals of any kind. This audio should not replace nor substitute the advice of any healthcare professional. <laughs>